Hey guys, I'm Jay Novella, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 160. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, sir, hey, sir. 160 episodes. Wow, Z. Who would have thought? We've got a special one as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, with none other than Jay Novella uh, from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, who just recently became a full-time employee for the sake of skepticism in the skeptic movement. Brilliant. It's the more people we have employed full-time in this little global movement of ours, the better, because we can fight the good fights. Yeah, especially if we get paid, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, however, I yeah. I say it every single time I have the opportunity to uh, speak my mind, uh, that I can well imagine a w- world without money. Mm. So, well, can't wait how for that cool would that be cool. if people would just spend time with the stuff that they feel the yeah, need to do? Yeah, and send me the money if I they mean, don't need it. <laughs> yeah, especially if there is no money in the world, it would be very useful to send <laughs> you all the money. <laughs> okay, but this is not all about the money. It's it's about it's about somebody being able to focus on the actual yeah. job at hand. Mm? Yeah. Okay, so Let's we've just had the, the joy of interviewing Jay and this is going to be a very long episode I believe mm. because uh, he has a lot to say and uh, I don't think it uh, would have been nice to cut too much of it out and since we don't have a distinction between paying and non-paying listeners <laughs> so p- patrons and not non-patrons uh, we're just going to share it absolutely as a whole with everyone yeah sure <laughs> Every now and then, we interview someone whose life and or work as a skeptic might be interesting to our listeners and definitely has a European angle to it, either through representing a country on the old continent or a project stretching across borders. This time, we interview Jay Novella, who is one of the rogues on the internationally acclaimed podcast The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, that he's been doing for more than 13 years with two of his brothers and a few close friends educating the world about science and critical thinking. He's also one of the co-authors of a recently published book bearing the same title as the name of the podcast, and not too long ago, the announcement was made that, thanks to the number of patrons on Patreon, he will now be a full-time employee of the podcast. Jay, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. So, first of all, congratulations. 
Uh, we're going to hopefully talk about that in, in a bit more depth uh, a bit later on. And uh, our listeners probably remember that a long, long time ago, uh, Pontus did an interview with you in Malmö, I believe. Yep. It was yes, it was. Well, it was in a and in a we, restaurant or a pub, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. That was somewhere around the beginning of our podcast, which uh, basically stems from the the fact that what you guys do is well appreciated and loved all over the globe, including Europe and some European countries. So uh, we wanted to give our listeners or European skeptics an overview of what's going on in Europe instead of the United States or uh, the UK or Australia. This is why I, I like to refer to you uh, or the, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe as, and I, I'm hoping that everyone will get this reference, that it's the St. John uh, Lateran Basilica of Skeptical Podcasting. Uh, <laughs> Do you know why I'm no, saying that? No, I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys been to Rome? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in Rome, there is the San John uh, Lateran Basilica, which is called the mother and head of all the churches in the world. Okay. So Jay is the mother and head of all the... Right. <laughs> no, it's the skeptics guide to the universe. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so it's been going on for th uh, 13 years. It's amazing. And I don't think that to our listeners, it needs introduction or, or probably you don't either. But if someone is not listening constantly to the podcast or your podcast, they might not know that uh, recently you've announced that uh, you'll become a full-time employee of the podcast. So how did that come about? And what's that and what's happening with that? Well, Steve and I had been talking about that idea for a long time. You know, one of us or, you know, needing a full-time employee and the man hours for the business. I mean, we, we have to treat the podcast like a business in a lot of ways, especially, you know, even going back probably about seven years at this point, um, just because of the, its demand on us. So we, you know, mm -hmm. we had to take it very seriously in order to keep it growing. And, you know, our interest was definitely to, uh, to reach as many people as we could, because we thought, and we still do think that our, our message is very important. And, you know, things were, were progressing very well from the beginning. And I think, you know, we're all knee deep in our careers, you know, all of us have careers. And it, the idea never got lost, but it was pretty much put aside. But I had always been really thinking about like, what could we do or what could I do if I were working full time? You know, what's the potential of that? What would it mean for me individually? And what would it mean for the SGU? Um, and then right when I was going to initiate talking to Steve about it again, we got sued. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And the quickie on that was we, we were sued by a doctor who had um, a presence both in California and in Florida because we or Steve had had written a blog post about him and at some point in the blog post called him a quack and explained how he was using uh, certain medications off label which means not for the intended use and in fact that he you know he was making use of them in a way that had been proven they won't work so we do this all the time you know we'll we'll talk about or write blog posts about doctors or anybody that that does things like this so he decided to sue us and he was suing actually Steve the SGU, Yale University, you know, me, the podcast, he, he, he was suing everybody. And then it kind of whittled its way just down to Steve, because that's 
I think that's very typical in lawsuits where they'll throw a lot at the wall and then they'll they'll figure out you know what, what the real targets are who who is going to be able to respond legally and who won't and they actually want people who don't have the money to respond legally because then you, you can get some ground that way yeah so it was a really difficult thing to go through and they were suing he, he ended up suing us about freedom of speech and about Steve competing with him you know business wise which was ridiculous because Steve's a neurologist <laughs> and he's not you know he's you know he's a he think he's an internist or actually no he was a, he's a skin doctor mm-hmm. if i'm correct i'm i'm deliberately trying to forget the details cuz it was a semi traumatizing experience and it was very it was bad guys it was really painful to go through the money was flying out the door and we weren't going to give up we decided you know we're not backing down from this we're going to invest as much money into it as we we needed and it took almost 100% of our income over the years that it was going and it took savings and it, you know the personal emotional toll was pretty serious but we ended up winning completely winning every motion that he had put to the table and we ended up getting a portion of our money back and when that happened and that happened last year 2018 at the same time it was my job that i had had for the last 10 years was ending you know and i without going into the the details about that i had to make a decision on you know which way i was going to move forward was i going to stay doing my old career or were we going to take this leap of faith and and think about the future like what would happen if i worked full time and i had to put that to steve at some point in 2018 like what would it what would it look like let's talk about real numbers let's talk about you know what responsibilities i would have like what would i be taking off of his plate what are the new things that i'm going to be doing that i already don't do and it was a lot of talking and a lot of planning and i'll admit even a little bit of fighting here and there because we are brothers <laughs> you know but it is emotional and it's difficult because it's scary you know like Working for yourself is completely different than working for people that you you know you're not related to or or you know I'm not, I am pretty much my own boss meaning that all day I have to make all of my own decisions and then then I'll coordinate and report back to Steve we usually talk every day anyway um, so it really hasn't changed that much since I started working full time except I'm doing a lot more and I'm I'm going way deeper into the weeds on on things like social media um, you know marketing is very important just to you know keep keep new people coming to the show you know just working with with building the new website um, even though I started that project in August you know I've been doing doing that work for you know more than full-time hours for the past few months and we're just getting to the point now where we're gonna launch you know I started the newsletter so I've been really busy mm-hmm. but it's you know I think the the underlying question here is what's it like you know, how do I feel about it? Because, you know, it's, everybody's been asking me that. And I got to tell you, it's it's one of the best things I think that's ever happened to me in my life is this change. And, you know, our patrons, you know, really kicked in. It was fantastic to see so many people enthusiastic about supporting yeah. this effort, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's emotional. It really is. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how humble I feel about the whole thing. You know, I mean, I, I just feel lucky i feel like um you know i feel like giving people bad advice let me explain that comment (laughs) it's kind of like you see someone uh win the oscar and they're like all you have to do is work hard no there's a lot of luck involved Mm -hmm. in anything you want to do in your life you can work hard your whole life and not get anywhere unfortunately and it happens to a lot of people um i was lucky enough to to start this effort 14 years ago with people that are going to do it for this long with people that care about it equally as I do you know with my genius brother Steve who 
is really, you know, he's the focal point of this whole thing. And of course, it wouldn't even be happening without him. I just feel lucky that, you know, we hit a tone in the podcast that that the audience cares about. I mean, we're very personal. We, We talk a lot about ourselves. And, you know, I think the audience understands that it's a private conversation that's been opened up mm. to the world and it works you know it just we're we're comfortable being honest about a lot of things on the show which i think is great and, um, and that makes it lovable. Yeah, I know. I mean, I love doing it. You know, like I, we, we couldn't do it if we, if there wasn't something there that was energizing us. And part of it is the love of the act of doing it. Yeah. So I, I think for for the last f- fourteen years or so, you, you must have sort of waited for this opportunity, even if you probably didn't think it would happen. But you must have had dreams and stuff. So you must have had a lot of ideas brewing. In the, and I know you're very ambitious. You've done video projects and stuff. So the big question, I think, is what, what, what's what's going to happen now? What can we expect uh, as, as listeners? Or do you know even? Well, I mean, part of it, of course, is a mystery just because we're coming up with ideas all the time. You know, my, my step into working full-time for the SGU is... I look at it like a a series of events, some that I know are going to happen and some that I look forward that they might happen. I hope that they happen. I mean, ultimately what it does in the short term is it, it lets me handle the SGU with, you know, real tender loving care. Like I'm going to be, you know, fixing all the things that we didn't have time to fix, like the, the website and, you know, creating a newsletter, which I should have done years ago. And it's a lot of work, but it isn't so much work. I could have probably done it even when I was working full time for somebody else. But to do it on the level that I am doing it, you know, I'm working with a real designer that's making me custom artwork and things like that. That That's huge. You know, not waiting for a friend to make you artwork or somebody that's actually talented, but doing it for free. And you can't, you know, you can't work with a deadline. You can't work with hmm. any kind of structure when you, when you, you know, work that way. But, you know, our income is enough now not only to pay me, but to allow me to do things in a proper manner, which is, it's hugely different than the way it was five years ago. You know, I could, I could give you really detailed descriptions of what it was like, but a lot of it was just, you know, waiting for, for friends to do things for us. You know, listeners would offer to do things, we'd work with people. And then I would, I would always feel, you know, God, if only I could, you know, pay people to do this work, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, you know, that, that day did finally come and, and it's, it's a remarkable feeling, but the details are, I am focusing on social media quite a bit. I'm interacting with people a lot more. I'm I'm planning on ways of distributing our message to a broader audience. And that does have something to do with marketing. You know, unfortunately, it's very difficult, as you guys know. It's it's very hard to get in front of new people, even even if you have a large audience, and you could ask people, hey, tell your friends, whatever. You know, that only goes so far, the grassroots thing, which I think was at the origin of podcasting. It was all pretty much grassroots. Even with, you know, stations like, you know, Radio Lab or NPR, the vast majority of it is word of mouth. You know, people, you know, will will take advice from other people that they know. Well, that, you know, today that can only take you so far and you really need to be able to to cover your costs and things like that. So I, I can't let the grassroots thing be our driving force anymore. I have to do marketing. And the good news is so far it's been working. I mean, I've only really been been doing it, you know, two months 
and I'm seeing a, a I'm seeing the needle move, which is fantastic. I mean, it, it it's very encouraging to see people react to me just letting them know what the podcast is. You know, I'm not coming up with this super slicked out marketing. I'm coming up with what I think is good enough in a, in a timely fashion, and it, we are getting a response, which which is great. It tells me that people want to learn about science, and they want to you know they want to be intellectually engaged, which I find be really encouraging. And I you know I, I also feel like. The internet has made the world one place in a way that the world has never been before. So our our message, if you're an English-speaking person, our message isn't tailored by country or region or anything, which a lot of big big companies do. And I can't, I could never do that. It's too, you know, that takes a team of people to handle something like that. But it really is, you know, just the idea of what the podcast is. As long as I get it in front of people, I I, I get a good response. So I'm super excited about that. Um, that could have just as easily not worked because uh, marketing as you know is basically shooting uh, into the wind you just have no idea mm. you know even if you're skilled everything still is kind of a hunch or a guess it, you're never like saying this is absolutely gonna you know move the needle in any direction yeah you have also evolved over the years of course it's been 14 years you're not doing it the same way as you did in the beginning but what i've tend to see now Actually, I think I've heard you say this as well. You moved away a little bit from being just a skeptical podcast to become a, a, a more like a science outreach podcast. Is is that correct? Yeah, it's totally correct. I, you know, the idea was early on. You know, I would say within the first year, we were thinking of it like, well, let's find you know skeptically themed news items and we'll cover those, and that that proved to be very difficult, and it also narrowed the scope too much. And I think part of our realization was in that early, early times, I mean, I think, again, like it was probably during the first year when we realized we've got to talk about general science as well. We've got to talk about popular science. We've got to talk about things that are happening in the news that are capturing people's attention. But what we need to do is is put a critical thinking lens on it so people have a clear understanding, not only like, hey, you're hearing this news item, you've probably seen it come up in your, in your newsfeed from a few different outlets. Well, let you know, we actually had to say this to each other at one point. Let's talk about those news items and figure out a good way of of ripping them apart or you know shedding light on parts of it that we feel aren't accurate and and also it's an opportunity for us to learn and it's an opportunity for us to teach our audience about things that are are happening, you know, in the modern time and things that they should know about. And we you know, there's a lot of flags that have to go up before we pick an item to get on the show and we try to you know, capture as many of those ideas in a news item as possible. You know, we really do w- love it when we can talk about something that's being reported on, but give a skeptical perspective. Because a lot of times, as you guys know, the and it's gotten worse in the 14 years, the news outlet will give, a, you know, too brief of an explanation or a skewed version of it or a completely misshapen version of whatever the news item is. Well, yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. I, and I like that. Unfortunately, you know, as a, it happens. But I can I can use that as a as a way to tell people the truth about the news item mm-hmm. for us to have a fun and interesting discussion and on top of that um, I can teach skepticism through that you know we all can teach critical critical thinking methods and you know applying critical thinking to just a regular news item and and it really once once that happened our content stream exploded you know we were able to talk about anything. I mean, you could you could pick up, we don't do this, but you could pick up a, a graphic novel, you know, like a comic book, a really high-end comic book, and you could read that and talk about it on a skeptical podcast and and have skepticism applied to your interpretation of what you're reading, even in something like that. You know, it's like almost any piece of news or entertainment can be used 
as skeptical content if you know enough about skepticism to talk about the different areas that, you know, you know everything. It's not just logical fallacies, but it's, you know, misrepresented science and, you know, tons of things that we can pull out of there. But we do try to pull threads that we think are needed in order for it to be a worthy thing to, to discuss. You know, mm-hmm. every once in a while, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about things that are happening with space missions and stuff like that. It's too interesting to me to pass by. And I just like to keep people informed with even some pop science uh, because it's fun and it's good for kids. And I think, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of adults out there that have kids inside of them that want that want to hear about things like that because it is, you know, it is the gee whiz type of stuff that I think attracted all of us originally to science. Um, so we, we still talk about that. But man, you know, when we, when we land a meaty news item, that we all can argue about and research and, and talk about before the show and talk about during the show and talk about after the show. I mean, we know that if we're interested, that our audience is damn well going to be interested too. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the, the skeptical filter that uh, you put on everything that, that you cover. And it's uh, it's amazing how different you guys are. You, you are so different in character. And yet, um, because you all do your homeworks, you, you all come well prepared. It's not only entertaining, but it's very educational as well. So I, I think this is what uh, a skeptical and science-minded listener base will definitely appreciate. But let me get back to you being full-time a full-time employee of the podcast, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, because I do think that the emphasis must be put on how much more can be achieved by a person being fully focused on this kind of uh, activity because we all do this uh, in our free time and uh, we see from time to time organizations podcasts when someone who's uh, basically moving it forward or a couple of people in within a project if for some reason a career change uh, their life takes a different turn they end up not being able to do it anymore the whole thing stops and that's over for the project. And and we've seen it time and time again. So I think it's a very powerful tool to have someone being full-time. And one of the greatest examples, I think, in Europe is uh, Marsh, uh, Michael Marshall yep. at the Good Thinking Society. And look how much they, they could achieve. And he's an, an engine behind the whole activity. So... Would you be able to point at a couple of things as to what to do in order to achieve that, to to be able to establish that kind of change in an organization or in any kind of a project? Uh, and we've got a couple of listeners in different countries where they suffer from the same issues. So I think it would be great to share a recipe of, of some sort here. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a good question. And I, I'm... It's going to be difficult to answer, I think, in part because it could be it could be manifested in so many different ways. But I think, you know, to take a 30,000 foot view on that, you know, first, let's get real. You know, most ventures, I think, that people want to happen, they, they don't happen, right? We, we all have dreams. We all have things that we, we want to do. This is something, you know, podcasting or monetizing anything, a YouTube channel, um, whatever it is that you're going to monetize, there has to be something there to develop an audience on top of. You know, you can't just 
come up with any old idea. You know, and that alone could be, you know, hours of discussion about how to formulate an idea that that could appeal to people. I mean, I've done this many, many, many times, helping people come up with podcast ideas or, or some type of new content or fresh ideas like that. Um, I, I just have you know a battery of information in my head. You know, I digest so much stuff on the web that I feel like I have a pretty good meter for for things like that. But specifically for the SGU, I mean, so first we had, and let's talk about this in business terms. We had a property that people were interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I don't want to completely divorce my passion from the whole thing, but it's it's very helpful to to treat what you're doing as a business and don't don't think everything has to be donated. You know, that was the beginning of podcasting. Sure, that's you know everything was free, everybody was donating. You know, and then it got reality kind of seeped in, especially for anybody that had a growing audience. You know, hey man, it's costing us a lot of money to host the website, and it's costing a lot of money to host these gigantic media files. You know. Before online storage became um, much less expensive than it was, man, it was so crazy expensive even 10 years ago. Hmm. You know, it was costing us way too much money to, to host things. And we finally got to the point where I was telling Steve, I'm like, you know, why, why don't we just ask our audience to help us? You know, like that was a, one of the real big pushes in the beginning was just to get some support from the audience. You know, we clearly had people that appreciated the show. And not only was it costing us our personal time, but it was costing us real money to do things. So we, yeah, so it kind of naturally evolved out of that. But now it's perfectly okay under any circumstance, in my opinion, if you're creating content that people are interested in, to start a Patreon or, or some type of membership and ask them to help help support the effort. But then there is a turning point where, you know, if you're getting a, a broader appeal and you're able to make a positive flowing income out of it, you have to take this idea of going full-time very ser- seriously and very carefully. Um, now, I personally think that we picked, we, we actually should have done it much earlier, especially now that I know what it's like and you know what, what I think I can achieve. Um, I have a much clearer picture, of course, now than I did, say, six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. But you got to be very careful because you don't want to you know, put the cart before the horse, meaning, hey, I'm going to work full-time and just you know, hope that things work out or that you're going to make enough money to pay the next the next series of bills that comes up. You have to be able to do it with your with elbow grease with a full-time job until you get to the point where you have steady you know very you know predictable income that you can count on. And that's a big deal when it comes to monetizing and ta- taking that full-time step. I mean even in our position, Steve and I were so conservative about this that even though we we could handle it very easily, I would say it was still a hard decision because we know, well, moving forward, you know, you're, you know, breaking the stream of your career and you're moving into full-time, you know, you know, like, what do I do? You know, like I'm not doing e-commerce like I used to, I'm doing, I do some e-commerce now, but I'm doing way more business management, project management, you know, running operations, directing bigger efforts, you know, working with, with outside companies to get things done that we need done and getting them done on a much higher, more professional level. You know, you have to have the skills that the business is going to need you to have. You know, so that's another important thing. You really have to think about who do you need to be if you're going to work full time for the company. It's not just you making the podcast. There's a lot of other things you're going to have to do. You know, and I've been doing a lot of these things already, or I've pretty much done all of them on some level. So I was able to gauge, you know, hey, if I'm going to be needing to do a lot more video post production, I knew I already knew how to use Premiere well enough to know that I could do it by myself. I already have resources in place to ask people if, you know, I can make a phone call and get expert advice from several different people, you know, things like that are helpful. And you got to really think it through, 
So, you know, just count on the fact that if you start this monetizing idea and you want to go full time, that the company is going to need you to be things that you might not be right now and try to predict what those things are. But I will tell you right now, you're going to be managing projects and you're going to be in charge of growing the business. And how are you going to do that? That's a big nut to crack. Yeah. And it's it's a devilish nut because everybody's trying to figure out how to do that. How do you get people to... F- you know, realize that you exist. How do you get people to, ha- to have enough interest in what you're doing? Or how do you produce content that's interesting enough where you can count on your product to essentially entertain people enough where they want to see the next episode or go back and, and look at some previous episodes? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I, I try to, I want to make sure, you know, when I'm saying this, I, I want to be encouraging, but I also want people to really think about what they're doing and be careful about the decisions that you make. Yeah, just to be to be realistic. Yes, right? Don't go, don't think that you're, you're going to move to Hollywood and become a movie star. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't get to, to be Bradley Cooper making movies with Lady Gaga, right? Like, you know, you realize that they are the absolute cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. Yeah. And musicians and, you know, every career has those levels. And I think, you know, monetizing and getting paid, it's still percentage-wise, most people don't get paid enough to do it full-time. You might be able to supplement your income, and you damn well better be enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, if it becomes a job just like anything else, and you're not making a lot of money, and you're not, you know, you're not moving a needle in any way that's important to you, you know, then you just got to go right back to the beginning and say, why am I doing this? I know exactly why I wake up in the morning. I love the SGU. I love the work that we do. I love the way that we, you know, we were family, you know, Kara is, is totally family with us. And we, we enjoy the time that we spend with each other. We enjoy the work that we do together. It's a constant education. So you better enjoy the work and make sure that you're working with people that you want to work with. You know, I look at you guys. I love the fact, you know, Pontus, when we first met and we we were getting to know each other and you know it's like and I looked at you and I'm like cool this this podcast is cool I like I liked what you were doing I thought it was a great idea and now you know bingo it, you guys have been doing it for 4 years mm. and mm. and you have a good audience and you guys have you know I've listened to your show you have a good you have a good vibe a good rap that's important thanks but you know you can ask yourself th- these questions you know how big is the audience what you know how are we monetizing right now are we making enough money where we think one of us could go full time I would love to see you guys be able to do that but just be careful there's a lot of components to that yeah, yeah. of course no i i think you have to think about monetizing especially if you if you're now you can't separate the fact that your livelihood personally now is on this but it's still a labor of love and that's why you say you you enjoy waking up in the morning you know what to do and you you can you're lucky enough or lucky you've worked hard for it but now you're in a lucky position if you will that you can work with something that you really really believe in and and and, and enjoy doing yeah yeah so that's good so so i wondered if do you have any plans of looking for uh, international collaborations? I mean, it's a little bit early yet, but you know, thinking of a multinational thing. But but uh, how do you see on on international collaborations? Well, we you know that's a, that's an interesting question too because we've thought about so many different ideas at this point. I mean, when Steve and I are, are talking, I mean, we talk every morning and we we tend to throw ideas at each other, like whatever whatever we have cooking. We've thought about different things like, you know, having a uh, a global podcast where we would have people from different areas get together and discuss topics. And I really like the, that idea. I think it would be a really cool project to do where we have someone 
you know, from multiple places in Europe, one or two people from Australia, you know, get people from as many different locations as, as we can to get a representative body and then just get into skeptical discussions about what's going on locally, you know, things like that. I would love to do that. I've had that idea for a long time. But I'll tell you, like, the, the thing that puts the brakes on a lot of projects is feasibility. Like, the feasibility of that, I think, is is moderate. It's not great. It's difficult to work with people in different time zones. I mean, it's difficult for me and Steve to connect and we live 25 minutes from each other. And I'm, you know, you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if yeah. you have kids, forget it. You know, like the kids are wonderful, but I mean, all you do is take care of your kids when you're not working, you know, like that's what it's like to be a parent. And, you know, odd hours are very difficult. So that is always a huge factor. But, you know, we, we go to international conferences. I have friends, I have skeptical friends and real friends in the skeptical movement all over the world at this point. So I would love to do a project, but I, I worry, like, I don't want to take on too much. I don't want to make too many promises. You know, like, that, like that's that old adage, you know, under promise and over deliver, right? You know, I do do that. I, I apply that strategy as much as I can. I don't want to like sit there and daydream and go, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And then next thing you know, Steve's like, yeah, I, that's that idea is so good. Like, let's do it. At that key moment, you have to go, is this, <laughs> is, can we do this? Like, is this going to be a good spend of time? So I guess yeah. the possibility of doing something international is always there. And there's uh, uh, so many people to pick from and, and uh, different projects to do. But, uh, you know, but I, you were, I think what it ends up happening is we end up kind of taking the, some of the pathways of least resistance to get the job done and, and to continue moving forward without letting projects spoil what you're doing. So if I were to do this idea as an example, first, I would put very uh, quick, I'd put it on, on rails that said things like, let's try two or three episodes. Or whatever it is, if it's a podcast or if it's a video, you know, you know, if we're an international thing, I think, you know, audio would be probably the only way to go. And just, you know, really think about the, the idea every which way you could to, to try to formulate the best plan that you could and then execute that and have it happen in, in a certain time frame. And then just see what the response is and sit back and, and judge it more like, like, I, again, from a business perspective, just so I'm not being overly romantic about any of my ideas because, you know, you know how we all like our own ideas a lot and we have to be careful <laughs> about them because they're, they're, a lot of them are bad. But I, I do worry about time. You know, one of the things I was telling Steve, you know, I took a lot of work off of his desk and I was saying to him, I've got a lot of work here, you know, like I'm doing all the social media. I'm in charge of multiple projects, you know, even building a new computer right now, like just doing the research on components for a new computer that we need in the studio. It was ridiculous how much time that took. Yeah. It's 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 ridiculous. You know, something that you're not doing all the time, you know, I, I know computers very well and I, I, I'm very interested in them, but man, it took me dozens of hours yeah. to read reviews and figure out, oh man, what components do I need? I want to, you know, what streaming devices are best? You know, just asking one question like that could be hours of, of looking up things on the web and everything is a time soak. Yeah. So you're never going to like become this full-time Oh man, I'm I'm you know I'm rewriting human DNA now. You know it's like that's that's a pipe dream. You gotta you've got to set your expectations to be super realistic. But still, hearing you saying all of this, it's not like you haven't done a lot of fantastic things in in the past when you were still employed elsewhere, like starting other projects like Alpha Quadrant Six. Okay, right. can you tell us yep. about that? Because yeah. it's sort <laughs> sure. of totally different, and I love it. But it's and I I can understand how it fits with you as people, but it's different. All right. Well, I mean, Alpha Quadrant 6 is our science fiction review show. So I guess, you know, years ago, Steve and I 
we're coming up with this idea that we we want to take some of the work that we've done and let us enjoy it, right? Not that we don't enjoy doing the podcast, but the SGU is a lot of work. You know, it's it's healthy, happy work, but it's work. You know, there's a lot of a sweat that goes into it. And we wanted to produce content that was a little less demanding, meaning we can talk about a movie that we just saw very easily, right? You know, we, we watch a, a science fiction movie, watch, you know, a, a, one of the new Star Wars movies. I can sit down immediately and we could just, you know, talk for an hour about what what was our reaction to the movie. We do it anyway, right? Why not? Just like the podcast, you know, like we're having these discussions at dinner our whole life growing up, you know, let's record some of these discussions, you know, let's, yeah. let's have these, make them public. So th- that was one thing, like we realized that the content was already there. I've been loading my head with science fiction information my entire life. Um, I've got a lot to say about it. Bob does. Steve does. You know, we have a ton of friends that are into it. Huge amounts of, of stuff there to draw on. And this is me kind of going back to what I was saying before. Like, you know, is this viable? Is this a good idea? So what we did was, of course, we, we came up with our original concept that it started, we're just going to sit here and we're going to review movies. Then it turned into, well, let's wear costumes. Then, okay, I want to build a set. <laughs> then it turned into, I was writing science fiction shorts that we were going to perform before the actual reviews. Ooh. And we did it. I filmed three episodes. And we got to the point after the third episode where we were like, this is a train wreck. Like, we, <laughs> we one-upped this thing to the point where the reviews were the least important thing about the whole thing. Because we were super excited about, you know, creating, like, a science fiction story and not doing the initial idea, which was actually a good idea. So, we, you know, and you can actually get a tiny glimpse of one of the uh, things that we did in the welcome video. When you go to our Patreon page... There's a video on on there that kind of says, hey, this is what the Patreon is all about, right? Mm -hmm. In that video, there's like a four-second clip of us in costume on a sci-fi ship. That was my video. That was one of my videos. (laughs) So then we rebooted the whole idea a year and a half ago. When, When Star Trek was coming out with a new, a new show called Star Trek Discovery, Bob, Steve, and I almost like, you know, robots realized we all wanted to do reviews on, on, the new Star Trek, and we immediately started talking about it, and we we threw the show together really quickly because we had already been talking about it. We just needed to kind of just make a commitment. We had the studio. We already knew how to stream. We, you know, everything was there. We just had to decide, yes, we're going to spend one more night a week doing yet another project. (laughs) And you know what? We started doing the show, and we absolutely fell in love with it. We love it. It's so much fun. It is one of the healthiest things that I do. It's productive, it's fun, and it's meaningful, right? I mean, it, it me, when I say meaningful, meaning, you know, it's working. It, people are enjoying it. My audience is mm-hmm. growing. Yeah. And now keep this in mind, too, and this is another important thing. You should never have all your eggs in one basket, right? So when I told Steve, when we first started talking about going full-time, that, that was part of the formula. I said to him, you know, listen, we have more than one thing that we do. We have Alpha Quadrant 6. It's it's small. That's fine. You know, it takes years to build up a, a new property. But it'll be the kind of thing we could easily do into our retirement. You know, like, it's just, it's fun. People enjoy it. If it's making money, it's, you know, any dollar that we get is, is another dollar that we can put towards just continuing to do this. You know, like, why not? And we both really thought it was a good idea. And, you know, 
we've got 40 patrons on Patreon. That's not a lot, but it's certainly not meaningless. You know, I, I think it's fun. It's cool. I talk to them. Um, I'm already coming up with like, you know, I'm redoing the whole Patreon soon for that. That's one of my projects I'm going to do this spring is, is recraft that all of that to make it better. Cause I know Patreon way better now than I did when I made that. And I, and you know, I'll, I'll just tell you one more thing. It gives me a break from the the heavy lifting for the SGU and sometimes quite serious stuff that we have to deal with where that to me even though it is productive there's a lot of playtime built in and I and I found out that between the SGU and my full-time job like the person I was a year ago I had no playtime in my life and I needed it so the Alpha Quadrant 6 project turned into a fun project it's just fun and and god I love it so much yeah, that's a brilliant side project. But side projects aside, you f- recently finished another very important project that, that has been long awaited, and that is uh, writing the book together. Yeah, the book was a, a huge project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing so, it up. So h- h- how long did it take? It took a long time. It was, well, a long time, meaning it was a lot of work. Yeah. I think, you know, the whole thing was completed in over a year. But, you know, there was a lot of, well, okay, so when I say a long time, you know, the book had been in the works for a couple of decades, right? So let me give you the the perspective on that. Because we had already developed what we knew was the the core piece of information, the, the the core of critical thinking. We have been working on that for 20 years. You know, everything that we've learned ourselves went into that book. So if we were going to try to write a new book, I think it would take a lot longer because we didn't have all of that background information that was readily at our fingertips. Like we knew that we had to talk about logical fallacies and we knew that we had to, you know, talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, all of these different things that had to go into the book. As a matter of fact, the, the night that we sat down and wrote our list of everything that we wanted to put into the book... I mean, we came up with a couple of hundred things that we, we, we thought were good ideas for the book, and we had to whittle that down to about 50 ideas. Yeah, I was going to say, it was more like, what can we let go of? Because we want to get everything, all of this into the book. Yeah, exactly. It was very difficult to, to let some of those things go. And it wasn't just like, are we going to talk about ghosts? It was more like, how far can we take it? How far can we talk about ghosts? You know, like, how, what are we going to, what are we going to do? What, what lessons are we going to teach people if we tell stories about that or if we go into it? And then the book evolved from, it had iterations, meaning that very early on, you know, we knew that we wanted to have the book be information dense, but I had the idea of it. I wanted it to be more of, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. It was going to be like the skeptic's guide to the universe, meaning that it was going to be written from the perspective of somebody. Uh, it's, hard, it's, hard, it's a hard concept to put into words, right? Which means it wouldn't have been a good book idea. But we wanted it to have like chapters that were more revolving around this overarching theme of you have found a book from an alien species that talks about critical thinking and they're observing the earth. <laughs> Right. (laughs) So that was a weird idea that we had because we thought it would be cool. Like it would be fun. There'd be an undercurrent story going on. And then the second iteration, we really wanted to talk about skepticism through the lens of us individually, meaning we're a group of people that went through the last 20, 25 years of all the things that we did. And we should we should be telling our story with the book happening alongside of it, meaning, though, our story would, would have been maybe a fifth of the book or even a tenth of the book. But it would still be personal. And then, you know, talking to our, our publisher, we realized you know, that's probably not the, the, the right first book to do, that we really need to come up with a, a super information-rich, 
um, story that focuses on specific things and is, and is not too, too heavy on personal stories. Like, it's in there, but it's really, like, in, within the first parts of the chapter, we'll talk about it. We did we did dedicate a few chapters, or at least, you know, we each had our own chapter on, you know, a, a, a skeptical-based story that we, you know, like an origin story or something along those lines to help explain things and put things into context. But I think it ended up that we... we our editor gave us fantastic advice um, on how to frame the book. And then once we had that, the chapters fell into place very quickly. And, you know, we just started doing research and Steve started, you know, pumping out massive amounts of writing. So the project was a lot of fun. It was very frustrating. It was scary. It was at times painful. And then it just turned into a fantastic experience. I mean, when the book came out finally, and you know, you hold the book for the first time and you talk to people about the book in person and, you know, we, we went on the book tour and everything that was just, man, I'll, I'll never forget it. it. It was an incredible experience. I, I, if you have something to say, you know, writing a book is an incredible learning experience. And I, I, it's a good thing to do. Even if, even if you don't get a publisher, I think it's a really great project to, to start because you have to you really have to learn to be more disciplined than you already are. Even if you're a disciplined person, it takes a lot of work. And yeah. you have to be able to make lots of concessions, because especially if you're working with other people. My God, the concessions were huge. It was like every day somebody had to give up something that, that was important to them. But, you, man, your character gets a good bump when you when you make decisions like that. You know, I, I can't tell you how important the project has been to me. Yeah. No, but it is really a great book. So so if it's not obvious to any of the listeners, I, it is... I. I personally recommend it highly. I, I actually have three copies. I have one signed <laughs> one, one not signed, and then I have the ebook. So it, it is really, really good, and uh, it's it's good. Not just I, I, I'm really impressed because it is even for a sort of if I call myself a seasoned skeptic, it, it's informative and interesting for me. But at the same time, you could. Probably give it to anybody who has. If you just have a slight interest in in science and facts and stuff, you will love it, even if you don't know what skepticism is. Well, that was the challenge, Pontus. That was that was the thing that we were so focused on, and when we made the project super difficult, was okay. Like, look, yeah, we're writing to an audience that already knows us intimately. You know, we, a lot of people that are going to buy this book have been listening to the podcast for years, um, and. We didn't want to just regurgitate everything that happened on the podcast or all the lessons that we taught on the podcast. Like we wanted the book to be its own thing, even though it's derivative of the show, to make it accessible to anyone, but also give people like you the ability to get useful information out of it. Man, that, that was difficult. It was a real challenge. And I think, you know, Steve bore that challenge much more than the rest of us because when he was when he was writing the final chapters, he was getting the perspective like, okay, I could see what information I'm giving here. Now, is there anything that I can learn from this? You know, like, am I looking up things that even I don't know? And the answer had to be yes every once in a while in order for us to check those boxes. So it was it was hard, but, you know, it was worth the effort because when, when I read that final copy of the book, it was kind of mind-blowing because, you know, having it be one thing, I, I was always thinking of it more as as separate chapters you know that's the way i kind of treated it from the beginning it was always a chapter on this and a chapter on that and you know the, what's the introduction going to be for this chapter how are we going to tie it in and then how do we make it fit into the stream of the book meaning you can't talk about something in chapter two 
that you're going to give a huge description on in chapter five because the person doesn't know about it yet, right? In order for it to be appealing to people that don't know critical thinking, you can't assume that they know everything that's in every chapter already. So we had to deliver it in a very logical order that unfolded. So, you know, you're learning as you go and it builds on itself. Oh man, that is hard. That was hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you get the idea. Yeah. I I think it was hilarious that when Steve then did a a science or fiction segment on the book for you uh, rogues, you weren't very good at it. So so even (laughs) if you, you, even you couldn't place all the facts or the fiction. No, it's, you know, there's too much information to, to have captured in one mind, you know, like he's asking us questions right out of the book that we helped write the year before and you, know, <laughs> you t- get it wrong. <laughs> time, time removes information from your brain, your brain, you know, just functioning removes information, you know, like, cause you're rewriting memories and you're mis, you know, you're, you're miscombobulating information. You're like, you know, just screwing things up every day. You know, I, I blew, I was so angry that I didn't have those answers at my fingertips feeling like, Oh, I just, you know, I know that book frontwards and backwards. No, you don't. And you know, I had to, I had to actually read the book again and, and, uh, make myself feel a little bit better, but yeah, I already should read it up. sometimes you might yeah. learn something. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Uh, Jay, what's what's the uh, the best or the most memorable feedback you got for the book? If you if you well can think of one. Yeah. Um, well, a, a common feedback we got from many many people were that by the time that that we were in front of people, a lot of people had already already read a portion of the book or or, or the whole book, and they they decided, hey, I want to go to a book signing and get them to sign my copy, or you know that just wanted to meet us in person, and we kept getting the feedback like. I can't wait to give this book to my friends and family or like, this is the thing Uh, I, you know, this is, this book is so accessible. I I can't wait to drop it on the doorstep of person X. And we would hear a little story about who that is and why it was going to help them achieve something that they needed to achieve. And I I didn't think about that before. I didn't go, Hey, you know, this, this book is going to be like a good tool for people to use to get information. Yeah. I didn't think, I, I mean, it was weird to hear, people keep repeating that sentiment and then it just kind of was like a, a realization like yeah of course oh my god i didn't we didn't cook that in like we didn't really think about it in that light exactly but yes because it is first off it's not accusatory or insulting it we wanted the book to be inviting so we don't call people stupid and 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 you know we're not you know, angry in there at all. It's not about that. It's about being inclusive. It's about being like, everything's okay. Like we all believe in crazy stuff. Like, but look at this. What do you think about that? You know, we wanted it to be kind of like the show where it was, there, there had to be some, some friend, um, a friend vibe mixed into it to, in order for it to be accessible, because you don't want to turn people off by making them feel stupid. Right. Yeah. So th- what happened is our readers picked up on the fact that the book was accessible and polite and I think that they were like, oh, I could give this to my parents or I can give this to my my friend or, hey, I can give this to my wife. My wife believes some kooky stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like, let me give it to my loved one who I want to be more to understand critical thinking a little bit better. Um, so that was it. That was the big my big takeaway. Um, I We heard some personal stories as well that I thought were pretty endearing and fun. You know, people like one person was saying they were reading it on the book. Uh, they're reading the book on a train um, and they started crying on the train. And it was weird because... Oh. They were realizing something about themselves that was impactful, but they were in a public place, but they had to let it out at this. You know, that was a really cool wow. story that person yeah, told me. That is nice. This is so important to have that feedback. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just like to join that crowd in giving you that feedback. And uh, it leads me to your question. 
when can I give it to my Hungarian-speaking friends, family members? So are there any plans of uh, publishing it in different other languages? And uh, and and how are we doing uh, so far with that? Because I understand that uh, in uh, in the United States, it has even reached uh, the the bestsellers list, right? Yeah. So we yeah we've hit we've hit a couple of bestsellers lists. Um, all right. So I'll tell you. Let me give you a, a tiny bit of background here. One, I I learned so much about book publishing during this experience. I mean, first I was. Our publisher is fantastic. You know, we're working very closely with two people from the publishing company. I love the, both of them very much and, you know, kind of became even friends with them. But I picked their brains like crazy and we just kept learning about, like, how does publishing work? Now, the first thing is, you know, a publisher's taking a, a big risk every time that they uh, they engage with a writer because the publisher has to make their money back. And the way that publishing works is they, they're prepaying you for a certain amount. Like, that's what you're negotiating with the publisher when you say, hey, you know, what, what am I going to get paid? They're essentially saying, I'm going to pay you X because I think I'm going to sell this many copies of your book. And you get paid that money whether the, those copies get sold or not. I don't know why it works that way in the publishing industry, but it does. And then, of course, if you sell more and if you if you have developed a good contract with them, that of course you get paid. You know, if it ends up being a uber bestseller and you're selling millions of copies, of course you want a piece of that action. You don't want to just get the X amount of dollars that they promised up front. So learning about publishing was also frustrating because you don't your book doesn't automatically get published in, in any language that you want. I mean, we. We yeah. told our publisher, we think, of course, in any English-speaking country, we think this is a no-brainer. But deciding to translate the book into other languages has a couple of different things. One, there has to be a publishing company in that country that wants to publish your book in order for you to publish your book, unless you pay for it yourself, right? So we are publishing the book in Germany. A German-based publisher had to say, yes, I think this is a good idea, and we will spend X amount of dollars to pay the authors, so we have the right to to print X number of copies of books. And it was all on them. It was their financial burden that they had to do it. So they had to pay for the translation. They have to pay for the unique cover art for the country. That's another thing that's frustrating is, you know, like, cover art doesn't make sense in other countries a lot of times. You see cover art, and you're like, what is that? This is, it's weird. From an American eye, the German cover was strange to me. But then we talked to the German publisher and they completely explained to us why it had to have the look that it did. Because they wanted to make sure that the German audience knew that it wasn't a textbook. That it was actually, mm -hmm. you know, a, oh, okay. a, a book that you, you would buy that has legitimate science in it. And the, the, the cover art, you know, if you ever can see the cover art to the German book, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say. But to me, it, it, it's a little cartoony almost. But in that market... That's what the expectation is. Yeah, there are cultural differences, and 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 you need to accommodate for that. Exactly. So you know, we had to humble ourselves to like, it's not going to be like this cool science fictiony, you know, retro science fictiony thing that we got to pull off in the U.S. Um, and I do adore the European cover as well. But again, you know, that cover, you know, we I had almost no input on that co cover other than the colors. Um, you know, the artwork was was shown to us, and I just we just you know I, I think it was me that actually you know told them I want to see it in this color, and then we went with that color. Hmm. But anyway, that was another thing. Uh, but you know, I I want to publish it in Hungarian. I want to publish it in pretty much any language because I think the, you know people would benefit from having this resource at their hands because that's really what the book is at its core. It's a fantastic resource of of critical thinking. But no Hungarian publisher has has shown interest. So the the, the things that people need to do, which they, you have more control than you think, if you would like a book from an author 
to be written in your, your native tongue or translated into your native tongue, then you need to call publishers and let them know or what you're interested in or at the very least go to a go to a, a bigger bookstore and just start you know letting people know because if, if you know a few thousand people made it known that they wanted this certain book translated into their language a publisher could get their hands on that information because that information actually does make its way I and mean, publishers want to know that people want to read it they don't want to guess they'd love to know that there's a, a built-in audience so yeah i encourage you to to talk to people and try to you know get other people to to talk not just for my book but for any book that you're interested in if you if you want it translated into another language that said there's n- nothing stopping someone from translating the book on their own i mean if there was somebody you know, I know it would take a very long time to do that, but a native speaking person, you know, it's, if they want to translate a book, they can go right ahead and do it. They just can't sell it. But, you know, if they wanted to translate it and give it to their mother, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I'd ever have the time to do that. But if I was a teenager, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you, you heard the man, people out there listening to the show. Go out, get the, get your hands on the book if you haven't yet. Read it. If you haven't yet, and if you enjoy it, if you think that it's it needs to be published in your language, please approach a couple of publishers and uh, try to persuade them to do it. Here, here. Yes. <laughs> Slightly um, a different topic uh, this time. The NECSS conference. Yes. The one that I really wanted to go, but it's too bloody far, New York. But yes, so the new uh, the the conference has been announced in July, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct. Um, and there is nothing else about it. <laughs> Can you give us give us some insight if you know anything? I know everything. <gasps> uh, <laughs> Gossip. Go on. All right. So first of all, um, reasonably within a couple of weeks, we'll open up Early Bird. The conference is July 11th to 14th. It's going to be at FIT. We've been at FIT now for, I think, seven or eight years. Um, We were hoping to move it to a new conference center because we want, we have a lot of, a lot of things that we want to cook into the conference that we can't in this particular location. So, you know, we we have um, a lot of great ideas to continue to improve it. And one of them is a venue change, but we've been doing a ton of work revamping our uh, our speaker lineup and and getting uh, new faces new voices we're very proud uh, last year to have over 50% female speakers uh, we, you know we made it a point to uh, to just look harder and and longer for uh, for female speakers because you know there there're actually a lot of great people out there but it's it, for some reason it's easy to find male speakers and it's not so easy finding female speakers but the secret is they're there ah. they're there <laughs> um, you just have to look harder and you have to you know talk to a lot of people and do more networking and the last nexus we had it was amazing you know I, I was so impressed with with how well it came off Liz Gaston who is uh, who headed up our speaker committee just did an amazing job of finding intriguing people you know we we worked with we worked with the people that talked at the conference you know like talking to them about what what different talks that they can give and you know wanting things to be you know you know recent things we don't want someone to talk about something from 10 years ago we want something that that has some some recent interest the speakers were super happy to work with us we also had a great collection of workshops that happened on Thursday which i i usually do two or three of the workshops 
Um, and in those workshops, we like to have a lot of the art stuff appear in workshops. So me and, and Brian Wecht uh, typically will we'll talk about something that's off skeptical topic and more on to, you know, we talk about movies and acting and f- favorite things that, you know, favorite movies and talk about scenes in movies and just, you know, have, have more of a, a cultural discussion about something and not have it be just about science and critical thinking. Because, you know, Nexus has an infusion of art in it as well. We like to have night nighttime shows as well, like, you know, George Robb has done a few musical shows at night. This year, we're also going to be doing the Skeptical Extravaganza, which is a, a comedy show that the SGU and George Robb does together. The show's a lot of fun. You know, I, I know some some speakers that we're going to have. I don't want to, like, say anything just yet because everything is, is in negotiation. You know, I, I, even though I know certain people will definitely be there. I don't want to make any formal announcements right now. But, yes, I do. You know, we've already landed, like... You know, I think about ninety percent of the speakers are already lined up and and slotted. So, we're the the conference is in wonderful shape, and I am working on the new website for Nexus, which you know you guys might not care about because you're gonna, not going to spend a lot of time on there. But it well, is. Well, <laughs> I I, I want to say that I I went onto a, a website and it's uh, you know there is not much going on at the moment, so I'm looking forward to the new one. <laughs> yeah, so we're revamping it. I mean, yeah. everything has to be rebuilt after a yeah. certain number of years just to keep up with technology. But we're you know we're re branding, um, working on a new logo, um, which I'm very excited about. And, you know, that's pretty much it. I mean, we, we've we been doing this conference for a very long time. We keep throwing new ideas and trying to improve it. And some some things are super obvious, like, you know, getting a new MC was was a big deal. But, you know, right now we're, we're just so happy with Leanne Lord and, and what she brings to the table. She's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, she's very approachable as well. You, can, you know, anybody can go up and start a conversation with her. And we're working on uh, some of the other workshop ideas and nighttime activity things right now. So I think this year, again, you know, we haven't had a bad year. So, you know, every year <laughs> to me is, is better than the next because we get to stretch our wings and do different ideas and, and entertain ourselves with that. So, yeah, I love it. You should come, if you're, especially if you're local. I mean, I totally understand, guys. You know, you have to spend a lot of money to fly over here. Yeah. But if you are if you're, happen to be local, you have no excuse. Like, this is a... Absolutely. You're, you will grow as a human being. You know, how often do you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So so when, when this episode goes out, I think it will be uh, around the time when you have uh, published a new website. So so what, what's the, the address to the website? It's necss.org. Okay. Very good. Easy enough. Okay. So we, you've now reached uh, 3,000 plus patrons. And you're now a full-time employee. What's going to happen when you reach 4,000? Well, if you go on our Patreon, you can see we've, we've specced out different Patreon levels, right? So at, at 3,500, we're going to do some upgrading to the studio. You know, like I was talking about the computer. I couldn't wait on the computer. I had to, I had to start getting that going now. But there's other things that we need to do to in, make improvements, which is basically just buying some gear and, and, and you know, patching up some some holes, if you will. You know, like... It's not that big of a deal, and I don't plan on spending that much money. But the big one, and this is this is a big gun. Steve came up with this ridiculous idea that we're going to do a 12-hour live stream. Woohoo! Now, yay! The, <laughs> I want you guys to understand. Even before I was a full-time employee, that I I did 
I don't want to be a jerk, but I did most of the work for, for live mm. streams. You know, whenever we do anything in the studio, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm running the damn thing. But, you know, I'm mildly horrified that I'm going to be fully on the hook for this 12-hour <laughs> live stream podcast that we're going to do. 12 hours. <laughs> no bathroom gonna... breaks, anything. No. I mean, it's it's serious <laughs> business. I mean, it's not only, you know, it's, a, it's an emotional drain to do it. It's fun. I'm not going to say it's not fun. It is fun. And we could talk. I could talk. I've talked for 24 hours before. I could do I could do 12. But it's an amazing amount of work. But the, there's a thing about it that's so um, incredible. I can't wait. I'm trying to right now work it out where we could actually do the entire live stream on a 100% replica replicated set of the original Star Trek series, The Enterprise. So <laughs> now we've been to the museum before. The person that built that built it, who masterminded it, he is probably the biggest Star Trek fan on the, the planet. I mean, he, he dedicated over a million dollars of his own money to build it. It's better than the original set because it's it's been built to handle 4K cameras, not not the, the what they were shooting on, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, it was cardboard we, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, there, there were really like, you know, you could... Even with modern, um, if you take a, a look at it today, you could see things that are wrong with the set because everything is clearer today. So they're even showing the original footage. You, we could see it better because our c computers and our TVs are better today. But you know, you couldn't film on on the original set with a 4K camera. It would look like a joke. It actually would be a joke. <laughs> so the set is gorgeous, and he built it exactly the way the original set was. So this is the thing I loved about the set the most. That when you walk into one of the doors that gets you into the set, you're on the Enterprise because you're in the set. The set is a continuous set, meaning you walk down this hall and you take a left and you walk down that hall and you take a right into sickbay or you go to, to Captain Kirk's quarters. It's all connected. You know, they, they, they were able to shoot it on that set originally, on, on the original set, by pulling out walls and, and, you know, like, you know, if they want to get a particular camera angle, they can move a, a wall out of the way and get the camera in there. Well, that's oh, the way... Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. So when you walk on... Is there even a turbo lift? Uh, no, they, they, they have... <laughs> they not, not functioning, of course, but, you know, they have... Okay. Uh, the door is open and you can go and step in, inside the quote-unquote turbo Ooh. lift, but it doesn't go anywhere. And um, it makes a noise in all the gear? No, no. There's no problem. No, There's to beam you over, There are no right? noises, guys. No noises. Everything is done in post-production. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I just got psyched up. <laughs> yeah, no, but believe me, it doesn't matter because when you walk on a set, just being on a movie set or a TV set is cool, but being on something... For me, you know, this is a mildly religious experience because I grew up watching <laughs> Star Trek, the original series. But just being yeah. on any well-done set is amazing. It's, it really is. It's yeah. cool because it's almost like, do you remember? I don't know if you guys had these when you were kids, but when I was a kid, you'd go into a big department store. And remember how they, Ikea kind of does this, where they have all these different bedrooms connected to each other. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you can run from like, you know, Southern bedroom one to a, you know, to a, a, a formal <laughs> dining room over here and whatever, like all these different things to show off furniture and all that stuff. Well, that's what being on a, a professional set is like, except it's lit and it's the lighting is exquisite and, you know, it's science fiction. So you're just like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> um, so I, I did send an email. I am in currently, I am in talks with the, the man who owns the museum and I'm just waiting to to get approval, really. Like you know, we're go, you know trying to hammer out details and all that. I have no idea if they're going to let us do it, but that's the plan, and I'm going to continue to hound him until he says yes. <laughs> it just um, has to happen. Yeah, it has to happen. It's too it's too magical. Like this is a, a rare thing here. That's <laughs> uh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's four thousand. That's when we get to four thousand patrons. We are at three thousand um, two hundred and something right now. 
Ooh, um, so if you think about it, we're only 800 people away. Yeah. Less than 800 people away. You hear that, folks? Go on. Become a patron. Yeah. And, you know, listen, please do help support the work that we do. Um, you know, support every podcast that you enjoy, even if you're giving a dollar, just to help people continue to do what they do and to continue to grow. You know, one one thing to keep in mind is that pseudoscience is extraordinarily funded. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know, we just recorded the show last night. We were talking about psychics and the whole psychic business is it's a 2.2 billion US dollar business. Yeah. It's an amazingly well-funded piece of crap. You know what I mean? If you think about it. And that's why, you know, it is important for for fans and uh people who appreciate science to to fund outlets of science, right? Like I have lots of memberships, you know, I I belong to uh to the planetary society and I and you know I donate money to other scientific organizations it's a good thing to do so don't you know not just for me because of course you know everybody wants you to fund them but it's just a, a wonderful thing to give you know five dollars a year ten dollars a year who cares how little it is you know just give what you can to help get get science be a part of everyday life you know museums are hugely important to kids right I mean I still absolutely I just went to the Air and Space Museum when I was down in DC a couple of weeks ago I mean it's it, it blow. It's a mind-blowing experience to see the the moon lander and rockets and all the things like that. You know, watching kids in that museum like look up and have that look of wonder on their face. You know, museums aren't cheap to to maintain, and uh, I do think the gov our governments need to pay for them, but we need to pay for them too because it's for everybody. Yeah, indeed. So, goddamn it, Pontus, open up that <laughs> wallet. Get, get some get <laughs> some dust out of that wallet, man. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay <All right. laughs> scale your donation up done right <laughs> okay so uh a whole lot of exciting plans for the future and uh, we really hope that uh sooner rather than later they're gonna be realized thank you and, so much um congratulations again for this milestone i i think it will have an effect on the whole skeptical movement um not yeah no no pressure no right? pressure no pressure no pressure no pressure <laughs> just, gonna, uh, everybody just, gets a cookie saying, right <laughs> it's just wishful thinking but uh um, mostly thank you very much for your time and uh, joining us today it was lovely to to have you back on the show my pleasure guys i just just so you know i i i've listened to quite a few episodes of yours i mean I, it, it's a good resource for me just to hear about what's going on it's not like uh you know andy or marsh are calling me up telling me what happened last week i i like to have a resource like you to tell me what's going on in a, in a very important other part of the world that i don't get to, to go to you know i mean I'm just i'm far away from europe and it costs a lot of money to go there if i go every other year that'd be incredible it's not you know maybe i, maybe I go every five years i need need resources like you and i appreciate the work that you guys do please keep it up well thank you very much thank you for kind words we yeah. will <laughs> thank you and uh we'll definitely keep in touch and uh hope to have you back at some point and please let us know if you have something to announce something anything so uh yeah keep us on the loop will do all right all right jay novella thank you very much again thank you guys thanks a lot bye-bye thanks bye-bye bye bye And yes, mind blown. So yes, so uh, great job. I actually um, liked the review of the book so much that I bought one as we were talking. So. <laughs> great, okay, you should, that, and that, everybody that, should. 
It is a great uh, book. Like, listen, I think it is testament to Jay's marketing skills. Yeah. Oh, nicely put, nicely mm. put. Actually, I'm lagging behind Pontus because I only have two copies. An electronic <laughs> one. Is one of yours also signed? signed. <laughs> and a signed one. And not only signed, actually, it's signed ah. and stamped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got it stamped. Very good. Yeah. SGU stamp. And if you want to get it stamped and signed, you should go okay. to New York. And All right. I'm, I must get mine signed at some point. And attend Nexus. Yeah. Uh, that would oh, be yeah. great. And bring this massive book with you, which which uh, weighs a lot. I even so. I even thought of having them signing my my Kindle at the back instead because I didn't have the oh, physical wow. book at this the time. This is a great idea. <laughs> but then, <laughs> when when we were lining up yeah. for a photograph, I I think it was the the, the private event. Yeah, this was at uh, QED, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, at QED, and uh, I I hold I was holding uh, my iPad in my hand, and. Back then, I'd had only the electronic copy with me. So we were joking about me yeah. having my <laughs> iPad signed by them. Yeah, as long as, they sign, cool it, as long as they sign it on the back and not on the front side, because that, yeah, would, that, would, screen, that would be yeah. <laughs> disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I could yeah. I could never sell it to anyone because... Oh, it would be worth would much be, more, I think. Well, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but I would never want to get rid of it. So, uh-huh. no, okay, no. that's fine. Uh-huh. Okay, that's we're just being being silly fanboys yeah. here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, but uh, but I think uh, well, as as but you it's heard, an... it's a great it's a great present for all your members of the family and friends, and and so everybody should have one. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely serious. So those people who are listening and in their country, the language spoken as a first language is not English. Mm. Please try to get, get get a hold of it, and please try to get in touch with publishers. I actually have uh, done a little bit of research into and asked actual publishers uh, about how this works. And yes, uh, some publishers do send out copies, original copies, uh, like reading copies to publisher companies in different uh, countries as well so that they can they can figure out whether they want to publish it but i think a little bit of a nudge cannot hurt so yeah. if you if you want to contact a publisher whom you think might be interested in publishing this kind of books do it yeah. do it and make it happen because it will make a difference. Yep. All right. So I really hope that everyone enjoyed this uh, interview and this episode. I certainly did. Mm-hmm. Yes, very oh, much. Oh, yeah. So. And I enjoyed being back on the show. I missed you guys last last week. Oh, yes, that's oh, right. Too. Yeah, yeah. We had so much fun with Brian that we didn't even notice. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Brian is a great Sorry. guy, but he's no Pontus. I take it all back. Right? I take uh, it all back. We really missed yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> and I think Brian Bashes yeah. the Bishop was a fantastic... Fantastic new segment, and um, uh, I, I also and we miss a couple of opportunities to, to to make fun of that. Yeah, to jump yeah, jump yeah, yeah, on yeah. The, the the joke itself. But yeah. uh, d- don't worry, and we will talk. I will talk. I will be um, bringing back uh, Pontus Pokes the Pope. I'm not going to get into it here, but 
The Vatican and the Pope right now is a bee's nest. There is so much going on. There is <laughs> Cardinal Pell. There is uh, Pope Francis calling uh, the one first speaker at the meeting uh, uh, a bloody feminist. He didn't use the word bloody, but that's because he's the Pope. There, there's so much going on, uh, but you'll have to wait for that uh, for next week. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exciting stuff. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. But there will be no overtaking of the whole show by the Pope and his wrongdoings. <laughs> no, no, that will be a separate podcast that I'm starting. Yeah, Pontus is starting a separate podcast. Yes. Just okay, talking guys, about we should be Frankie. we should be putting an end to this particular episode. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, right. So thanks thanks for joining me today and thanks to our listeners for tuning in once again. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Fun, fun, fun. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka-paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. <laughs> and not too long ago, the announcement was made that thanks to the number of patrons on Patreon... An announce... Fuck it, sorry. <laughs> oh, you're editing, so there's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> you can't blame me this time, you know. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> What's up, governor? <laughs> Hello, love. <laughs> Hello, love. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. Um. Oh, that's us. See ya, Stuck. <laughs>